And welcome in to another edition of the Fun in the Sun podcast where we are talking all things Sunbelt football. And here we are, the final week of the regular season, kind of dubbed across the nation as Feast Week in college football with the Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, what a feast of Sunbelt games we have this week. I am Eggman Chambers. You can find me on Twitter and Radio Guy EC, along with my co-host, Mr. Brian Stone, who you can find at Watch the Stone. And man, here we are. We know the two teams that are going to be playing in the Sunbelt Championship game. We just don't know where the location will be yet and uh everybody's preseason prediction of app and louisiana well it's went to form yeah and uh i'm i'm not really surprised uh i i believe when we did our preseason predictions i also said that i i believed app and louisiana were the two best teams in the conference um you know i i guess i'm a little surprised overall when you look back at the entire season that it was decided you know, with two weeks to go, basically, you know, what the what the conference title game was going to be. Yeah, it's one of those things. Uh, Georgia Southern had the ability to extend it to the final week to for us to figure out who would represent the East, but we'll dive into that coming up. Here in just a few minutes, we're going to start off the top of games last week, just work our way in order as we always do. Uh, Georgia State and South Alabama started the weekend off last Saturday. And uh, I tell you, man, this was a game that early on it was a snoozer of a ball game uh, to watch. South Alabama actually led this game 3 to nothing after uh, the first quarter. And uh, Dan Ellington was able to still trot out there and uh, 21 for 27, 208, two TDs and, a, and an interception. He looked better in this game than he did against App State two weeks ago, but he's also going against uh, a little bit lesser competition than what he faced in App State's defense. You know, God bless him for going out there for, you know, now what, two consecutive weeks with, uh, I guess, an all-but-confirmed torn ACL uh, and and just really kind of gutting out this performance, but you can tell uh, that that the lack of mobility that he now has with that injury has really kind of limited him as a player. And you know it's tough to see he's in his senior season, so it doesn't look like his pro prospects are are great uh, following this year. So you know God bless him for going out and and gutting one out. But uh, you know, he was efficient, but he, he really hasn't looked the same since the injury. No, he really hasn't. The dual threatness is not there that was there with him. You just kind of, he's not able to step into his throws and get the full velocity on his throws and, and, and make that impact with his arm the way he was when he was healthy, when he could firmly plant his feet and his legs and just fire it in there. It's not there like it was, but against South Alabama, I mean, let's be real here. This is no disrespect intended to say, South Alabama, but I would feel comfortable starting a true freshman quarterback in his very first game against South Alabama. Yeah, South Alabama this season uh, really feels like a team that's that's uh, almost starting from scratch. Like it's almost it almost feels like a, a brand new football program because you know outside of Trey Minter. Uh, we've, t- we've, you know, gone back and forth every, almost every single week about their struggles at the quarterback position. Uh, Desmond Trotter, who, who is, uh, now starting for them is a true freshman. So it's almost as if, you know, like we said, it, it, it's almost like it's a brand new football program and they're starting from square one. Um, 
Trotter played fairly well, I guess, for, you know, what he is, which is a true freshman, but, uh, you know, just couldn't score enough points to stay with Georgia State, and uh, Georgia State just kind of, you know, made a made a little bit of a run in the middle of the game, and South Alabama just, you know, really couldn't score and stay with Georgia State. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, one thing I have noticed, though, I kind of get the feeling maybe you're on the same track with this as I am, but uh, I just... It, it feels like in the games that Trotter has been the starter, you almost you almost get the feel that South Alabama actually stands a better chance at at least being in the football game. Well, I, I think the thing is, you know, his completion percentage overall hasn't been great, but I think he at least opens up the threat that they might throw the ball down the field, um, which is more than you could say when Cephas Johnson was was at quarterback, there was really never any real threat that he was going to go deep on you. But, you know, credit to uh, uh, Desmond Trotter. He threw a 52-yard touchdown pass at the end of the game here to, to kind of set the final score with under a minute left. But, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's going to be a growing experience. If he wants to, you know, continue to be the, the quarterback for South Alabama and they want him to continue being the quarterback – this is good learning experience and kind of what has been a uh, a lost season for the Jaguars. Well, with the win, Georgia State gets to seven and four on the season, four and three in conference play, and South Alabama falling to one and ten, zero oh and seven in the Sun Belt. Well, the twenty fourth ranked Abstain Mountaineers took on Texas State, and uh, it was a slugfest for much of the game. The App State defense, uh, when the offense showed their inconsistencies, was able to keep them right in the thick of things, and uh, the defense kind of, in my opinion, won this game for Appalachian State. Uh, 35-13, App State top Texas State, in a game that only saw Zach Thomas attempt six 16 passes. This is a run-heavy game. The Mountaineers running the ball 49 times to just 17 pass plays. We know Ab State favors the run, but this has been one of their di- biggest differentials of the season. Well, you know, South, uh, or, I'm sorry, App State is is so much more talented than these, you know, bottom to mid Sun Belt teams that they can pretty much win however they want. Uh, because their defense is going to step up and get them enough stops to hold teams typically under, uh, let's say, anywhere under 20 points. So as long as their offense is is clicking on any cylinder, whether it be through the air or on the ground, they can kind of dictate winning however they want. And you saw it in this game with Darren Nevins and, and Marcus Williams Jr., uh, you know, combining to go over, what, 230 yards rushing. So you know, credit to App, but this was them kind of just flexing their muscles on a, on a Texas State team that has also kind of had a lost season a little bit. Yeah, they really have. You know, it's one of those things you talk about how App against these mid to lower teams in the Sun Belt can just kind of dictate how they want to win. Sometimes App State just wants to win ugly. That's been, you know, they, they've had plenty of ugly wins this season where it's like, it's weird that you choose this way to do it, but they still, a win's a win no matter how you look at it. But it's almost like this team prefers as much just to win ugly as to win looking good. Well, you talked about it a couple weeks ago when we were wrapping up the show. Uh, you know, Drinkowitz has has favored a more conservative approach than than what you had previously gotten out of Satterfield. Uh, and and you know, you see that mostly in these games where 
you know Thomas doesn't really have to throw the ball down the field in order to give them a chance to win. So what does he do? He leans on his running game. You know, you get, like we said, Darrington Evans, Marcus Williams Jr., Zach Thomas chips in a little bit on the ground, and Thomas just throws the ball enough to to basically keep them uh, the other team honest. But, you know, they didn't really need to do anything special to beat a Texas State team that only uh, is going to finish with probably three wins this year. So credit to App, they went out and got it done. But like you said, it, it wasn't it wasn't overly pretty. That's exactly right. With the win, the Mountaineers getting to ten and one on the season, six and one in the Sun Belt, and Texas State falling to three and eight and two and five in Sun Belt play. Well, the Georgia Southern Eagles had a chance to keep the Eastern Division race wide open until the final week of the season, but Arkansas State off the back of a big day from Elaine Hatcher, tossing four touchdown passes to go with three hundred fifty-four yards yards through the air. I can't believe that I'm seeing a Georgia Southern quarterback actually th- attempt 24 passes, but that's what Sean Wirtz did on Saturday. Just kind of talk to me uh, a little bit, Brian. This is a game, it, it, you know, it it's one of those things Georgia Southern kind of dug themselves in a hole in the first half. Well, th- this game was truly basic. It, I mean, it was essentially the tale of two halves. Um the first half of the game from a Georgia Southern perspective was a debacle. Um, their their pass defense was non-existent. It looked exactly like it did against Troy. Uh, I think you can really pinpoint the issues that Georgia Southern has had defending teams through the air by looking at the safety position. Um, multiple times in this game, you could tell that one of their corners, uh, either Monquavian Brinson or Kendall Vildor, thought that they would have help over the top on some deep passes. And I don't know whether it's a lack of athleticism or a bad coaching or whatever, but the safeties really don't move their feet when the ball is thrown over their head. And it has come back to kill them multiple times this year. With that said, the first half, again, complete debacle. Uh, It was a bad coaching job by Chad Lunsford, all of that. The second half was Shai Wirtz essentially putting the team on his back and doing everything he could in order to get them a win. Uh, almost to the point where they were driving at the end of this game down five, and it came to, I think, a fourth and eight, and Wirtz came within one yard of getting a first down that would have extended that drive and given them a chance to win going in. But, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures, and that's why he had to throw the ball 24 times. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, it's it's not typical. It's not typical Georgia Southern style when they're having to pass this much. But when the deficit added up like it did, it's just how things end up. Uh, you know, shaking out both teams. You know, you can't look at penalties as being a difference maker. You really can't look at turnovers being ju- a difference maker. At the end of the day, it was just the defensive issues in the secondary, as you summed up for Georgia Southern. Yeah, and like I said, I, I it, it's really hard to to get to the root of the issue, but I hope it's something that uh, Chad Lunsford, as the head coach, does a better job of uh, diagnosing going into next season. I don't know whether they need new players in the back end of their defense or if the coaching needs to be better and put them in a better spot to win. Uh, but I can say with absolute certainty, they need to reassess what they're doing with Bob DeBess as the offensive coordinator because as bad as their defense was, the offense in the first half did them no favors and was so conservative. It gave them almost no chance to win, so they spotted Arkansas State five touchdowns. So with that said, it's hard to win games when you're doing that. 
And with the loss, Georgia Southern falling to 6-5 and five on the season, 4-3 and three in the conference, eliminating them in the Sunbelt East Division race. Arkansas State, they get to 7-4 and four in the conference, 5-2 and two in conference play. Well, Coastal Carolina took on Louisiana Monroe, and it was a shootout down on the bayou on Saturday evening. Louisiana Monroe topping Coastal Carolina 45 42, and man, uh, if you like offense, this was the game for you. As we expected, this game could have some fireworks. Caleb Evans, 20 for 34 passing, 349, two touchdowns and a pick. Fred Payton, 10 for 16, 158 yards and three touchdowns. Bryce Carpenter, as per normal with Coastal Carolina, got in on the mix. He was four of six passing for 64 yards. So, you know, and he, but he's the one who threw the interception. Uh, and then C.J. Marable just had a tremendous day on the ground, 18 carries, 172 yards, two touchdowns. Obviously, it eliminated Coastal Carolina from going to a bowl game. We talked about it last week that this game, uh, the winner had a ha, had a really good shot at a bowl game, while the loser would be eliminated. And this year, it just wasn't a year for the Chanticleers. Yeah, and and one of the things that I had said last week is I I don't think this changes anything for UL Monroe's chances of going to a bowl game because unless Louisiana. Uh, who they get in the finale sits their starters preparing for the Sunbelt title game, uh, there's almost no chance that UL Monroe defeats Louisiana. So that, but basically both teams have been eliminated from bowl contention, barring Louisiana sitting their starters. But like you said, I, I was mostly surprised by the lack of defense that Coastal Carolina played. Uh, for several weeks, we had, we had kind of said, you know, Coastal Sneaky has one of the better defenses in the conference, and, you know, Caleb Evans did everything he could to prove us wrong. Uh, you mentioned the passing numbers. He also ran for 69 yards and a score as well. Uh, and, you know, Fred Payton actually played pretty well considering, uh, you know, his struggles this season and Bryce Carpenter. But what a weird game. I, I never I never really think I'd ever see Coastal in a, in a, in a 45-42 type of game. No, I'm definitely right. You know, it kind of it brings back memories of the App Coastal game earlier this year that was that huge shootout they had in Boone after the two-and-a-half, three-hour lightning delay. But, you know, now for Coastal Carolina, you really shift your focus to next year. And here's the deal. Fred Payton and Bryce Carpenter, both underclassmen, they'll be back next year. Jamie Chadwell has a decision to make, and I feel like it's one that needs to be made. This team has been in a quarterback carousel since transitioning from the FCS to the Sun Belt. They've never settled on one starting quarterback consistently. Uh, Kilton Anderson kind of got more of a lean when he was there, but they were still a rotating door with Chance Thrasher and some of those other guys at times because Kilton battled injuries through his career. This is something I think over the offseason, Jamie Chadwell and the coaching staff, they're going to have to nail down a number one quarterback that they lean on through the hard times, through the good times, until it just gets to a point where there's no choice but to make a change. They're going to have to figure something out in 2020 i mean when you go back and look at the passing numbers for both uh fred payton and bryce carpenter this year it really makes you think that the answer at quarterback for this team is not currently on the roster or it needs to be one of the other guys who haven't gotten as much playing time um you know from a numbers perspective let's 
I'm just taking you through uh, Fred Payton and Bryce Carpenter have combined for uh, 18 touchdown passes and nine interceptions this year. Not terrible, but it's also not going to take you to that next level, especially when Coastal's not one of these teams that has elite skill position players outside of C.J. Marable, who I think is a really good running back. But their, their receivers have never really impressed me all that much. So when you get when you get a quarterback like this, they need to be more dynamic to make up for some of those offensive deficiencies, especially at the skill positions. And I've never really thought that either one of these guys was a long-term answer if they want to kind of take that next step. Well, you know, here's the thing. You know, I, I went through and I was looking at the commits for 2020 that will be coming in next year that Coastal Carolina has. There's not a quarterback that's committed to them for next season. Do you look at that as a concern, the fact that you don't have a quarterback coming in? You know, a little bit. Uh, that that does, that does uh, give you some cause for concern because, like I said, uh, Neither one of these guys have really stood out this season and made you think, wow, this guy should definitely be the starter over the other one. You know, maybe it's time. They have two other quarterbacks on the roster and Grayson McCall and Jarrett Guest, uh, who each have thrown at least one pass this season. You know, maybe you give those guys a look more uh, in camp next year and give them a legitimate shot to win the job because you've seen what you have in Fred Payton. Bryce Carpenter seems to kind of ebb and flow all the time, and you never can really get a handle on what kind of player he is. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think you really have to give a complete open competition for the job. But with that said, you know, UL Monroe, this was the kind of team coming into this game uh, or coming into last week's game with Georgia Southern even that I was expecting to see with a lot of offensive fireworks. And Caleb Evans really provided that in this one. Yeah, definitely so. And, you know, I think with Coastal Carolina, it's all about building that culture uh, there. You know, they don't have the tremendous FCS lineage coming up to the Sun Belt that Georgia Southern had, that App State had. I mean, Coastal Carolina has lost out in 2020 to three different quarterbacks that have committed to Sunbelt schools, all of them with over 80 overall grades, all three-star guys, and they are going to Troy, Appalachian State, and Georgia State. I'm telling you, when you're playing football, when you commit to a Sunbelt school, you're committing to one that's got a tradition of winning anymore. It's just the way it, the, the trends have went in the Sunbelt. It's app. It's Troy, and now all of a sudden it's Georgia State that's starting to pull the better recruits in the conference. Yeah, I think the the big thing when I watch Coastal play is I, I don't really know what they're trying to be offensively. They don't seem to have a real identity. Uh, when, they, when they play, they seem to be trying to do too many different things at the same time, and I don't know whether Chadwell needs to go in and kind of simplify the playbook to just get the ball in the hands of the best players. But, you know, kind of like I mentioned, none of their receivers have ever really, you know, stood out and wowed you like when you're looking at this roster. So, I mean, outside of the running back position, like I said, with CJ Marable, it's like you don't really have a quarterback. You need some receivers if you're going to even have a real threat of, of throwing the ball. So the it's all going to come down to recruiting. And, and if they believe that there is a, a usable Sunbelt level quarterback on this current roster. And if not, maybe you need to shift the offense to, to try to do something different because it's not working right now. 
With the win, Louisiana Monroe getting to five and six on the year, four and three in the conference. Coastal Carolina dropping to four and seven, one and six in the conference. Well, the final game from this past weekend in Sunbelt play, it was a blowout. Uh, I don't think any of us saw a 50-point differential coming into this game, but man, was it a rough night for the Troy Trojans. Caleb Barker having what you would call his worst game of the season. Uh, 15 for 32 passing, 178 yards and two interceptions. Uh, Levi Lewis did his thing at 21 for 33, 273 and a score. And then that uh, triple-headed running back uh, machine, it really was just all uh, really you want to throw four guys in there because there was I mean everybody got their fair share of carries in that Louisiana rushing game hence why they had 254 yards on the ground as a team I didn't neither one of us saw a 50 point blowout here no this was a this was a a beating and uh I really you know I had kind of thought last week when UL uh or Lafayette or Louisiana rather uh, played a closer-ish game with South Alabama that maybe they had been looking ahead to play Troy. And maybe that was the case because they absolutely destroyed uh, Troy. And, you know, you kind of mentioned it. We all season have, have basically said that this is a three-headed rushing attack. Well, it may now be a four-headed rushing attack because Chris Smith, their fourth running back, has also kind of established himself and, and kind of carved out a role in their, in Louisiana's offense as well, which, you know, they didn't need any help running the ball. Let's just say that. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, the only team that we've really seen this year really put a hamper on the running game for the Cajuns has been App State. That's it. Even Mississippi State early in the year had a hard time stopping it. Yeah, and I'm not really sure, you know, why – that game was so strange because you have two of, you know, the most talented offensive teams in the in the conference. And obviously they must be because they're playing again for the conference title. But these two teams put up points every single week and they played a 17 to 7, you know, slobber knocker of a game. But it, it's very strange uh, when you go back and look at that game now looking at the rest of the season for both Louisiana and App and seeing that it was a game that there were 24 total points. But, yeah, so we'll we'll see both of these two teams uh, square off once again with App and Louisiana. Uh, but, you know, what do you, what do you take away from this season, honestly? I'm going to ask you, what do you take away from this season if you're, if you're Troy? I think if you're Troy, you think about – I think there's a little bit of a what-could-have-been type of thing because – Obviously, you lose Sawyer Smith as a transfer to Kentucky. Uh, B.J. Smith out for the season after about the second or third game. He he got injured and done for the rest of the year. You lose some key pieces. You lost your head coach. You start to wonder if you really made the right hire as your next head coach. I think there's a lot of question marks heading into this offseason, into 2020 for Troy. And, and it's going to get even worse because, you know, their lone bright spot this season has been Caleb Barker, and he's graduating. So they're probably either going to look to Gunnar Watson or another quarterback to start for them next year. But if you took Caleb Barker off this team and replaced him with a true freshman, this is, I mean, what what do you think they win 
three, four games this season? Maybe. I mean, you know, here's the thing. You look at their schedule next year. You look at their non-conference games next year. They've got UMass and Arkansas Pine Bluff. Then they've got NC State who will be bringing the majority of their players back with a better quarterback. Ryan Finley's younger brother will be a freshman and all signs point with the quarterback issues they've had in Raleigh this year of Ryan Finley's younger brother getting the starting job. And then they've got Tennessee uh, who should be better next year but who knows with Tennessee it's not like for in Troy's case that they're gonna you know it's not like that they're gonna have the easiest of roads to start off no and, and you know if their defense carries over to next year it's gonna with a freshman quarterback replacing Caleb Barker it's gonna be really rough for them uh you know they have some it's really frustrating when you look at this team because you know that they have talent and it just seems like they're to a place where they can't put it together entirely, which is which is always a frustrating situation to see. But uh, we'll have to see how this team pans out next year. Uh, but, you know, kind of a lost season and, and kind of a waste of Caleb Barker's senior year, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Troy with the loss falling to 5-6, and six, Louisiana getting to 9-2. and two. Well, when we turn to this week, week 14, feast week, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, for a lot of these teams, it's just games that they're just playing so they can finish their year. They mean absolutely nothing. Uh, you know, and then you've got a team like Louisiana Monroe who's fighting for bowl eligibility. You got a team in, in Georgia Southern who's just trying to end or head to the bowl season with a little momentum. You got two teams in Louisiana and App that it doesn't make a crap what they do this week. They know they're playing uh, in two weeks for the Sun Belt Championship game. And then you got a team in Arkansas state who knows they're going to a bowl game so it really don't matter and they got the weakest opponent in the conference south alabama's just ready for this season to be over this may be the biggest throwaway week of the year so do you think as an app fan i mean what are what are the chances of them making that kind of access bowl and being the the top group of five school well, you got to have some help. You need some. You need some losses. Uh, you know, Cincinnati overcoming South Florida last week. South Florida had Cincinnati beat uh, the other week, and then Cincinnati and then South Florida just wet the bed. I mean, they let Cincinnati come back. The kicker for South Florida could have won the game, and he missed the field goal, and uh, that would have been big for App in the uh, direction that they need. And, you know, it's it's one of those things you you got to have help. But, you know, if you're app, you have to win out. If you want any shred of hope for the Cotton Bowl, you have to win Friday at Troy, and you have to win next Saturday against Louisiana in the Sunbelt Championship game. That is the only sliver of hope at the Cotton Bowl that you have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that, it's it, that's just how the that's how the table is set, so to speak. And here's the thing, you know, I don't know. I'll be honest with you, I don't know if it makes a difference where this app Louisiana game is because here's the way you look at it: if you're playing in Boone in the first week of December, there's a chance of snow. If you go to mm-hmm. if you go to Louisiana, even that as though it's the Sun Belt Championship game, how much of a home field advantage does Louisiana really bring to the table? When App went down there, a game that was on national TV on Wednesday night on ESPN two, I can make a case that they were as many App fans as they were Louisiana fans. 
Well, Louisiana has always been a strange state because unlike most states, uh, they, you know, for the longest time have just been a one team state, essentially. You know, even you look at like North Carolina, you can name a number of teams with app in the mix now that teams that fans uh, are representing. And when you look at Louisiana, it's really just been LSU and that's it. So I'm not surprised that their attendance numbers aren't, you know, great, I guess, or, or you know, astounding by any stretch of the imagination. But I do agree with you. It, it almost feels like no matter where the Sunbelt uh, title game is played, that it, it doesn't really negatively affect App because it doesn't feel like either way that App is going to be intimidated by a, an opposing crowd or something. So I get what you're saying. It, it is kind of a throwaway week. Uh, a lot of these matchups are, are between – you know, a team that is over 500 versus a team that is like maybe not, probably not going to make a bowl game. So it is a strange week overall for sure. Well, when you start and you look on on Friday at uh, at five o'clock on Friday with Arkansas State playing South Alabama, I mean, what what much is there to break down at this game? I mean, tickets you can buy tickets on secondary markets for as cheap as three bucks. I mean, this is a game that the spread's 12-and-a-half. I like Arkansas State to win by three or four scores. I do, too. Uh, I think I like the over in this one as well. Uh, it's set at 56 as of uh, when we're recording this. Um, I think that Arkansas State is going to score points, and uh, I think South Alabama might be able to put up three touchdowns because Arkansas State's defense is not – one of the top in the conference, but their offense is pretty, pretty, pretty good with, uh, with Lane Hatcher throwing the ball over the field and Omar Bayless, uh, who is probably going to be playing on Sundays. So, uh, I like the over in this one and I would definitely lay the 12 and a half with Arkansas state. Definitely. So well, with App State taking on Troy, this is kind of our best matchup. If you look at it uh, this week, uh, it, it carries, I guess, a little bit more weight than most of these games because with an App State win, they lock up the Sunbelt Championship game being uh, in Boone. An App State loss and a Louisiana win means that the Apps will travel to uh, the Cajuns. But then if both teams lose, then uh, the game's in Boone because App would own the tiebreaker over Louisiana so you know there's a there's a good possibility that App State gets to host uh the uh the Sunbelt Championship game for the second year in a row and you know here here's the thing you know this game with Troy I think this game would be a lot more interesting on paper if Troy would have actually kept it competitive or beat Louisiana last week yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like this is going to be uh, kind of a run back of last week's game that App played. I think they're going to go pretty conservative. I think they're going to run the ball a fair bit of times, and they're only going to make Zach Thomas throw the ball as much as absolutely necessary. But I, I think this is going to be a Darren to Nevins game. So uh, I like the 13 with App. Uh, I know that's, that's kind of a, a square pick just to take a double-digit favorite, but... I, I don't see Troy after getting crushed by 50 last week 
keeping within two touchdowns of app. So I like app uh, with the points. Well, you know, here, here's the thing too. I'll add to this just from a national perspective. Do you not feel like this game should at least be on one of the uh, TV syndicated ESPN networks between ESPN, ESPN two, ESPN, U, ESPN news, even the fact that this game is on ESPN plus and amp state is a top 25 ranked program in all, every poll, whether it's AP coach, or college football playoff committee poll with, with the way this game actually has a little bit of something to pull from i i kind of feel like th- with it being on a friday day after thanksgiving this is one of those games they should have put on regular tv i think i think it's less about app and i think it's more about their quality of opponent um you know if troy was a seven and four you know, eight and three ish team, I think that they would be. But as far as like the countries, the USA's like um, knowledge of group of five, I think it begins and ends with American teams. So with what is it, Memphis playing Cincinnati this weekend, that is probably going to be the only group of five game because they're both ranked that is on probably national television. So I think if App was playing a better quality of opponent, I think it would be on one of those major stations. Yeah, you you make a good point there. The game has a six o'clock start on Friday evening. Well, when you turn and look at Saturday, Texas State taking on Coastal Carolina. The Shauna Clears trying to close out the season with a win on Saturday at noon. Uh, this is a game where the spread sits at seven. Uh, I think this is a toss up. It depends on you know both of these two teams have. Uh, defensives that have shown flashes of being okay but in the end uh, this is one of those coin flip games the spreads at seven but I'll be honest with you I could see Texas State covering this game for some odd reason you know I, I was I was looking back through coastal schedule this year and I think I agree with you uh do you want me to go through the entire list of double digit wins that coastal has had yeah go ahead Norfolk State and UMass. The two. That's the whole list. And UMass, UMass is worse than probably half of the FCS teams in the country. Yeah, easily. Um, they let what Northwestern almost cover a forty-point spread, and Northwestern's one of the worst, you know, Power Five schools in the country. So, uh, Coastal uh, has really only shown the ability to score points when they're playing much lower competition than them. Uh, I like Texas State to probably keep this one within three. I could totally see a 28 to, you know, maybe 28, 24. Uh, I don't see a way that Coastal beats Texas State by more than a touchdown. No, I don't either. I think it's close. I think both of these teams just want to end the season with a W. But both of these programs, by the time uh, 3.30 rolls around on Saturday afternoon, will have their sights set on 2020. Also, uh, Georgia State will take on uh, Georgia Southern and a little Peach State bragging rights between the Panthers uh, and the Eagles. Uh, obviously, this game not up to the rivalry status of an Amp State Georgia Southern, but uh, you know, t- to you is and since you know the fan base, does the fan base like to think of this game being a rivalry game? You know, it's tough to say because it seems like the fan base is split a little bit. Um, I fall into the camp that I think that this rivalry is as manufactured and fake as there's any rivalry ever been 
outside of maybe the civil conflict with uh, Central Florida and Yukon. Uh, I don't feel any ill will towards Georgia State at all. Um, if, you know, anytime they, they had beaten us, uh, it was more of a, dang, I can't, I can't believe we blew that game. I never, I never got like upset in the way that I get, got upset, like when we lost to App State. So, you know, I, I just, I, I, it's hard to care about this game, especially when you look at the way that George Southern season has gone, their, their chances of going to the conference title game are kind of down the drain. We're playing a team that has a quarterback who's literally playing on his last leg. Um, it It's hard for me as a Georgia Southern fan to kind of like rile myself up to get ready for this game. But some people do view this as a, as a real rivalry and then others view it as like a, a big brother, little brother situation. Yeah, kind of like, you know, kind of like App and UNC Charlotte. You know, I think more there's more App fans on the bandwagon of a rivalry with Charlotte than they are Southern fans with a rivalry with Georgia State. But it's got that same kind of vibe to it where it's like, okay, you're the fresh upstart. You're the one that quote unquote has a chip on your shoulder because you're you're the new kid on the block you're trying to make a name for yourself at our expense but even if you were to beat us you still got a long way to go to actually truly be in our league type of thing this rivalry has always struck me and i say rivalry with air quotes uh this rivalry has always struck me that uh when we entered the Sun Belt. Tom Kleinlein, the Georgia Southern AD, and the Georgia State AD both got together and agreed to make a rivalry out of, like, thin air. Because we literally had no idea that Georgia State, like, was in the Sun Belt before we moved up, whereas we knew we were moving up with App State with us to keep that. Uh, we've had more beef with Furman when we were at the FCS level than we've ever had with Georgia State. Um, the two wins that Georgia State has against us are – the year that Willie Fritz announced to the team he was leaving for Tulane due to money issues, uh, and then Tyson Summers being a terrible head coach. Those are his two, those are the two wins. So, I mean, when you look at the history of this rivalry, it's like Georgia State has gotten the better of us a handful of times, and Georgia Southern has has kind of, you know, handled their business every other time we've played. So I don't really see this as a real rivalry. I kind of see this as like, yeah, that's nice. You guys needed to be a rival with someone in order to kind of pump yourselves up as a football program. Yeah, you know, that's 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 the old vibe I've always got from UNC Charlotte when it comes to Amp State. I get it. The programs are close, but you know, it's the same analogy that you use. You talked about how Georgia Southern and Furman had beef, more beef in the SoCon than they do with Georgia State now that they're in the Sun Belt. Same thing goes for App State. App State had more beef with Western Carolina, had more beef with Furman, and Wofford even to that extent than they had with UNC Charlotte. It's just, it's like, it's kind of like they just because they moved up that some other programs in the local area just wanted to latch on and say, we're going to make a rivalry with you because we need something to kind of give us the ability to kind of leapfrog and they want to try to do it at our expense. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have brought this up in the past, but, um, you know, also there's no trophy. So that's, that's another thing that makes this feel like as fake as possible. Uh, you know, like I'm looking at the page right now, it says there's a point accumulation system that even comes down to like who has a higher place finish in women's cross country. 
like that doesn't strike me as a as a rivalry like it's it's also like comes down to whose athletes have the higher semester gpa like i don't i don't that that has never struck me as a rivalry um but getting into this game specifically i think the fact that dan ellington is playing on a torn acl and I think the fact that Georgia Southern is playing at home where they've looked significantly better, I think I would lay the seven here because I didn't think that they were going to play that well against ULM a couple weeks ago, but they played at home and they put up 51. So I like them to win, you know, big in this one, having been, you know, gotten the home field advantage between between these two teams in this game and Ellington kind of, you know, playing on his last leg, literally. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Georgia Southern gets it done here. I think there's enough in the tank here uh, that uh, that they will just uh, finish out at where, the way they need to finish out and uh, head toward the bowl game at 7-5. and five. Both teams will be 7-5. and five. Both these teams are going bowl, bowling, so it's not like it's anything major important for either one of these two programs, and they'll just look ahead to playing uh, – in December. Then the final game this week, Louisiana-Monroe and Louisiana. Uh, the Warhawks are trying to get to bowl eligibility. Louisiana has got it wrapped up. They're going to represent the West uh, in the Sun Belt Championship game. Uh, they need a win and an App State loss at Troy to host the game. Uh, it doesn't matter what Louisiana does as long as App State if App State wins, then they're coming to Boone. Uh, what can I say? I think maybe Louisiana-Monroe, they've got more of a reason to come out hot and come out ready to play than Louisiana does. So maybe the Warhawks jump out early. But I think in the end, there's not this this defense for Louisiana Monroe, they can't stop the run or the pass. And if they're they're giving up over 250 rushing yards a game, I promise you this running back group will shred Louisiana down the stretch. You know, from a from a a strategy perspective, would it make sense at all for Louisiana just to kind of like play their starters for a quarter and then rest them? Because this is almost like a week 17 game in the NFL when a team has already wrapped up home field. There's nothing overly positive that can come out of this because Louisiana has two losses. They lost to Mississippi State. They lost to you guys the first time. It doesn't feel like they're in the in the same uh, category or, you know, in the conversation that you guys are in at, with App as far as potentially being the highest rated G5 team, even if they went out in the in the Sunbelt title game. Would it make more sense for them to just kind of like play their starters for a half and pull them to keep them fresh? You know, it, it just depends. Honestly, it really just depends how much they value the possibility of of playing the Sunbelt Championship game at home because that's their, that would be the only chip that they could come out here that Napier could come out and say that we're playing for. I mean, what else is there to play for? Because even if you win, it's still you have to have App State lose. See, this, what's going to shape this game? This game's at 7.30 on a Saturday night. App State plays on Friday. So if App State wins on Friday, if you're Louisiana, what do you go out and do on Saturday? You know it don't matter what you do if App State wins on Friday. They're playing 24 hours before you. So if App State beats Troy, then you know for a fact there's no way around it. You're coming to Boone, win or lose. What do you have to lose if you let Levi Lewis and some of these guys rest? I mean, on the other hand, it's like how, and I'm not from Louisiana, so I can't really speak to this, but like how heated is this rivalry between these two teams? Like, do they actually hate each other or are they just like, 
yeah, you know, we kind of see you guys like every other year. We see you guys every year, like, you know, have a, have a, you know, you all want Rose, like, have a good time in the Sun Belt Championship, guys. And Louisiana's like, you guys arrive safe. Like, how, how, how heated is the rivalry between these two teams? Because I've never seen any sort of trash talk between these two. Yeah, you you're exactly right. I mean, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's called it's branded as the battle on the bayou. Uh, it's that's their that's their thing here is like their that's their brand of their rivalry is the battle on the bayou between Louisiana and Louisiana Monroe. Uh, it's it's been going on since 1951 as they've kept track of this since 1951 as a rivalry. Uh, it's a tight neck rivalry. Louisiana leads the all time series 28, 25 over Monroe. And so, I mean, is it, how do you, how do you, how do you look at it? You know what I'm saying? It's like what you said, how do you look at it? Because, you know, if, if in Monroe's case, they won in 2017 after Louisiana uh, Lafayette was on a dominant streak in this rivalry. So, I mean, it, they keep up with it. Now, I don't think they play for anything other than bragging rights. I don't think there's a trophy here. But it's called the Battle on the Bayou, so it, it's been going on long enough that they keep a tag to it. Yeah, I mean, if if they go, if, say, the Cajuns go out and, and they're playing in this game and they're you know, playing well and kind of handling business. I mean, say they're up three scores and Levi Lewis turns his leg the wrong way. Okay, well, now you've really shot yourself in the foot because you wasted him in a game that didn't end up mattering other than wins and losses, didn't didn't really contribute all that much. You're going to the Sun Belt title game anyway. I mean, it seems to be that there's all risk and no reward in this game. Especially if App State beats Troy on Friday. No, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like you know going into into Saturday at seven thirty what the stakes are or what there is to play for. If App wins as we all kind of expect them to against Troy, it, it seems like the only thing that can happen is bad because there's nothing there's nothing on the line in this game. So, I mean. You know, I if if Louisiana plays at full strength, I like them uh, minus the twenty and a half. Uh, I, I think I like the under in this one as well uh, because the way their defense played last week and held you know Troy to just three points. But uh, I could see Louisiana getting up like thirty-five to three and just pulling all of their starters and and UL Monroe maybe scoring one more time. But I don't think they're going to touch the the over of sixty-nine. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you in the same boat well man that's going to uh wrap it up for this edition of the uh fun in the sun podcast for thanksgiving week we want to wish everybody a happy thanksgiving uh of course uh wishing you one as well my man i know we'll kind of get back at it recap this week uh next week and preview the sunbelt championship game uh, and kind of dive full fledge in on that so next week will definitely be a uh, a short episode because we'll only have one game to preview we know it's going to be happening louisiana we just don't know for sure yet uh where it will be played but all in all uh as the dust is starting to settle across the sun belt uh it, it's the two teams going to be left standing that everyone expected and uh, do you think that this is a uh, well you know what i'll save that question 
for next week because it's going to be a question that it's going to be better served, I think, for next week. So um, I'm going to save it. Mark it down right here in case we forget. I'm going to save this question uh, that uh, for next week. Uh, it's going to be one, uh, I think it'll be a good talking point next week since we'll have a lot of time to really dive in and discuss. But for the listeners, so they can think about it themselves, the question I'm going to lay out here, but we'll wait till next week to dive into it, is it good for the Sun Belt that their first two ever Sun Belt championship games are being played by the same two teams and possibly the same place? I'll just kind of leave that on the table. You know, from a national perspective, is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And also, how is it that it's your one of your second newest member to the league? Is it that's hosting and possibly winning your first ever two uh, outright conference championship games? I think that's some good questions to leave on the table for next week. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, give the listeners uh, something to chew on. Uh, just some some like housekeeping things for the the later half of of this show and going into bowl season. Our tentative plan is to you know use the main ta- the majority of next week's show to do the recap and the preview of the Sunbelt Championship and then we kind of plan on getting together at a later date and putting out a bowl preview once all those have been finalized so uh, I'm looking forward to all of that, and you know we'll see we'll see how it all shakes out. We definitely will, man. As always, they can find you on Twitter at Watch the Stone. They can find me at Radio Guy AC. As always, this has been the Fun in the Sun podcast.